0: What's going on? What's going on? We are here, back with another episode of the Salt and Sugar Podcast. We are back for episode ten. Faith, how are you doing today? Doing great. Wow, what a what an episode that we had an opportunity to watch this last weekend. Oh
1: man, it was wild. It was it was crazy.
0: Man, we'll get into it later. I know. I, I was so surprised. It was great. I was surprised in some other ways too, though.
1: I was a little disappointed. Yeah, me surprised. too. Surprised and disappointed, but yeah, it was still good.
0: Mm. Well, look, we thank y'all for coming back for another episode. This is the last episode of season one. So we thank y'all for being a part of the ride. It's been fun. We've got a chance to talk about a lot of things. There's been a lot that's happened over the last few months. Mm-hmm. So we just want to thank, say thank you for making the time to do this. And I know Faith and I enjoy getting a chance to talk through all this stuff. And so you make this whole process fun for us as well. Uh, but yeah, we are in the midst of it. So we are still in the early voting period Yes, here in the state of Georgia, so again, October 12th to October 30th, so please make sure that you're making the time to head down to your local polling stations, make sure you utilize your right to vote, because, man, there's a lot of momentum that's happening all over the country right now.
1: Yes, it's a really important time, also, you never know what your polling place may be like, some places is a long wait, some places, I've heard, haven't been a long wait, so, Definitely go do it. Where I live, I was probably in and out in 15 minutes. So definitely go vote.
0: Mm-hmm. And continue to investigate who your local officials are that are on your ballots. That way you have some knowledge before you're headed there so you can know who's going to be on the ticket and who you would like to have represent your best interest, your family's best interests, but also for the direction that our country is headed in. We want to make sure that we have credible, responsible and people that are able to connect with others and and that care about the voice of the people as well. So just make sure that you're continuing to investigate who is up for election in your district and area. Yes. Okay. I second that. Well, you know, we live in a a democracy, right? So clearly there's never any intrusion on the American voting process, except apparently we have some people um, who will not be named, but some people who have been... Burning ballot boxes.
1: That's a shame.
0: For folks that are submitting their ballots in the early voting period. Faith, what is going on?
1: I don't know. And honestly, I haven't watched very much news. Yesterday was probably the first time in a long time that I actually turned the news on to watch it for, you know, like 30 minutes or more. I really haven't done that the past month or so because it was just so triggering. It just felt like there's always something, mm-hmm. there's always something crazy going on. So um, I'm kind of behind on all of the craziness. I'm just praying to God that people vote. Um, oh, and I have a question for you. This is this is unplanned. What do you maybe say? How do you feel? About people that you know, maybe friends that m- might vote for someone that's not beneficial to your well being. How do you handle and process that?
0: So, are we saying like you're checking the box for Kanye West <laughs> for president? Is <laughs> that what we're talking about?
1: Please don't check the box for Kanye for the love. Not Kanye, but I do know that there's plenty of people also rallying around that.
0: Yeah, celebrity friends that are l- taking pictures illegally, taking pictures of their ballots. little
1: and, concerning.
0: Yeah, it's just just a whole mess. Not,
1: please don't do that. That's not going to help us. Did,
0: and uh, there was a there's actually a Republican who's not a Trumper, and he actually wrote in Ronald Reagan because he wanted to signal that he wants his party to go back to the ways of the Reagan administration. So he wrote in a dead man's name in Ronald Reagan. And this is this is this is a, an elected official who did this.
1: Wow. While well, I admire that what he is kind of wanting to go back to, although when people say they want to go back, I know they're not thinking about black people because no, there's nothing. I, that I remember the war on drugs. We, we want, want to go back to. Yeah. But um.
0: Didn't, didn't didn't Ronald Reagan when he was governor of California in 1967 when all those black people came on the steps of Capitol Hill. Didn't didn't he change all the the gun rights laws out there to make sure that black people couldn't just have arms just in mass and all? That? But anyway, that's what I'm saying. Go back to what because
1: yeah, I can't, I yeah. can't.
0: I just the, the the caucasity with all that because of course he was yeah of course he was
1: yeah. So how do you feel?
0: So here's my thing. One of the things I think is most troubling right now is this. We have two camps really, especially among the Christian camps, but in, with black people as well. Yeah. We have the camp where some people are saying, Cam, one, my vote really don't matter. I honestly don't really like Joe Biden. I don't like Donald Trump. I'd rather not even vote. Mm -hmm. I'd rather not even contribute to the process because both of them are wrong. Well, here's the thing. I'm not going to give you the longstanding speech of, you know, our ancestors, they were killed for this. We all know that to be true. But the matter is, is that if your vote wasn't important, there wouldn't be active bouts of terror that are happening throughout the United States, trying to continue to eliminate your right to vote in this country. True. There wouldn't be voter suppression. They, they literally are, are limiting ballot boxes in certain places that are dominated by black and brown people to make sure that your voice is not heard. For the first time in recent history, as we talked about last podcast, Georgia and Texas are looking like potential swing states. Yeah. So clearly your vote matters, but you have to also realize that you're not just facing an everyday election. This isn't just something that's happened before. We're in a new era where we're trying to reclaim our country from the jaws of white supremacy and mass hypercentric capitalism
1: that is causing
0: more people to go broke and be poor. And it's being continued to be exonerated by the fact that COVID-19 is taking this even further. So your voice is extremely important. And you have to realize that it's not just about you. That's the other part about this as well. It's not just about you. Right. There are other people who need you to utilize this privilege. So there's that camp. Then there's the others saying, okay. all right, some people are voting for folks that they're just writing in on the ticket. Yeah. They're putting some ghost of presidents' past on their tickets. Those people aren't helpful either. But I think that you need to also take into account that while it might seem like the true thing to do in a real democracy, that you can write in your vote, you shouldn't have to contribute to a two-party system. The fact of the matter is, this is where we live right now. And what's at stake is democracy. Because what you have to understand is that what's happening in this country, what's happening in Capitol Hill in Washington right now, like all of this stuff is happening because people are doing whatever they can to maintain absolute power. And to take away your right, to exercise your right to be free across the board. So whatever change you think you want in this country, whatever change you think is needed in this country, unless you use your voice, unless you encourage other people to use their voices, it doesn't matter. Mm. And that's also with local elections. We just talked about this with Breonna Taylor, what happened with Daniel Cameron. The attorney general conspired, and he did not want to release the transcripts from her killing because he knew. They were inflammatory and they were going to have to indict the officers right now the judge had put a court order out and said that no you will release these things yeah and we know what's going to happen after that so again the question is if people like that are in positions of power they affect your life Breonna taylor's life george floyd's life so if you care about our community in particular if you care about black lives matter if you care about social progress you have to use your right to vote. It's not just a national election. It is the local elections that determine yeah. how policies are made and how they're implemented in your state, city, and district.
1: Yeah. And I also think like one thing like I've been reflecting on is that I'm not sure that certain people are looking at local elections and our national election as a holistic factor right I think it's very individual what is going to benefit my family or my life or what have I been raised to think what have been what have I been raised to believe is right and that is going to be the driving factor for my vote what I've really realized too since the like the surge this summer of people talking you know about George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor is Of course, we know that that really, like, that heightened interest is going to go down and people are going to get uninterested. They're going to get, you know, exhausted. But you cannot, um, it's convenient for certain people when they don't have to live it day in and day out to excuse themselves from from the conversation and to not even think about, like, how how does my vote affect other people? And so I think that's why continual education is so important because you can be excited during a movement and say, oh, racism is wrong, like, I stand against it, and then vote the complete opposite um, because in your mind you're still thinking very individualistic and you're not thinking mm-hmm. about the whole system that impacts um, people. And let's just be clear here, politics are not going to save us or solve all of these problems. Neither party. Neither party has done that successfully thus far, and I don't think neither party will continue to be a, quote-unquote, save-saver for any of us. However, I do think that it is important to put people in positions of power that care for all people and care for the community, and I think that's why it's really important to look at who you vote for. So... Vote wisely, even if it's different for you or going against the grain of what you've normally done. Neither candidate is perfect. We can spin our wheels talking about that. But I do think it's important, um, even more so, if you can get your head out of the sand, even about the national election, Mm -hmm. to look local at the people that you're electing who are leading your city and how that's going to impact you and impact your neighbors and get a little bit beyond yourself. Um, That's what I would encourage people to do and encourage you to encourage your friends and family to do. It's just, um, we don't have the time to be, um, comfortable. I think there's been a lot of people that have been comfortable and it's time to get uncomfortable and do things that you've never done. And I think that's really important. So, um, yeah.
0: Yeah. And to that point, Faith, I think it's very important for us to always be cognizant of the language that politicians are using when they're talking about people. and what people are going through. And I mean, our world has just been defined by COVID and by racism. Yeah. And yet you still have politicians that when they're campaigning, they're calling everyone that doesn't agree with them, looters, rioters, the violent, their entire campaign is, is built on fear mongering. Yeah. So are these even people that you would want to help shape the direction of your family, let alone our country? So once again, just be aware continue to investigate, evaluate, and vote in accordance with what this country needs and what people who are suffering and hurting need.
1: Yeah, that's so good. Okay, it's time to talk about Lovecraft. <sighs> what a, what an episode, what an end. I just, okay, when I think about season one, I'm going to say some of my, like, top moments, top reactions okay. to season one. I will say, I mean, I said this before, I say it now, even when I tell people, Hippolyta's episode is my favorite. Hands down, my favorite. Yeah. Name yourself. I even tell people who are like, I don't know, it might be scary for me. I tell them, just go watch that episode, especially black women. I'm like, you can, I think you might be able to catch the pieces, but, like, That episode is the most significant because it talks about naming yourself. And I think it's really important that you name yourself as a woman, specifically as a black woman, and understand the strength and the power that you possess as a woman. Um, That episode, phenomenal. Like, completely blew my mind and I still think about it to this day and think about like what have I named myself Mm. and how am I going to live that out Mm. and all that. So favorite one for sure.
0: Who's your favorite character?
1: Um, that's tough, but I think. Oh, now part of me wants to say Letty, but also there's another part of me that feels like, I mean, Hippolyta is up there, but I already talked about her so much, so we can keep her out of this. Um, There's a part of me that really kind of loves the grandmother that mm. that Letty met. And I think there's just something about her character that, like, she's just so strong and powerful. She's, you know, she's the matriarch. She understands, like, her her life and the sacrifice and then when she talked about how my great great grandson will be born he will turn he will be my faith turned into flesh and when I think about that I mean like imagine having such faith and fortitude to know that I won't see it but gosh like they'll see it I think that level of Love and persistence and just generational strength is something that some white folks don't understand about black people and black culture and where we're at today and why our ancestors mean so much to us because somebody had to survive in order for us to be here today. And when you think about the brutality and the abuse, it's literally a miracle that we are here, that we do live and her saying that reminded me of how important legacy is and that she was willing to die in flames and in peace because she knew that her faith would live on through her great grandson. I mean, what a powerful concept.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think now having seen episode 10, I even think faith turned into flesh. We saw what that actually meant in full.
1: Yeah. like It wasn't,
0: it wasn't even just like, you know, this is the continuing of the bloodline or even just a hope just for our family. Mm-hmm. But Really, for the deliverance of the black community, mm-hmm. and then the restoration of what was lost in Tulsa. Yeah, that the the grandson is the is the continuation of that hope and promise yeah. for all of Black America, and I thought that was just exceptional. That
1: was a dope part. Yeah.
0: So I would say, I mean, obviously, I'm a little biased. Uh, I think Tick is probably my favorite character. Typical. Yeah, I think I think though. A slight, uh, a slight second might be Montrose.
1: I could see you saying that.
0: Because I think I love the fact of being able to overcome your... And I don't even mean overcome, mean completely defeat. Mm-hmm. Overcome and being able to recognize it and see the worst part of you. Mm. And see the thing that makes you hate. to See the thing that has given you so much trauma. He saw his shame having been a homosexual man through the entirety of his life. Yet, even still, he chose to recognize it. And then once he recognized it, he was even able to still love anyway. And he learned more about himself. He learned more about how to love his son in the middle of that. And I think that offered so much healing to Atticus because too often you all in the black community with black fathers, especially sometimes our black fathers are so ashamed by what they've done or what they didn't have that they don't get the healing that they need which doesn't allow us to have the healing that we need. Right. And I can tell you for a fact that I have watched that play out. So I think Montrose's development as a character, which is excellent because of that very piece. But I'm going to tell you when, so we're going to jump around the episode because there's some things that we want to highlight maybe more than others. And so feel free whenever, but what got me most and you can tell this, cause this is the title of this episode. What got me most was when Letty was staring at Christina, when Christina had the, all the bricks in the building, the house that her father built was just completely destroyed, and she was laid underneath it, and she was bleeding out, and she was trying to utilize her magic. Letty said to her, not just you. It ain't just you that don't got magic no more. But every white person in the world is banned from using magic. No more magic for white people. I said, <laughs> Lord have mercy. Y'all can't use this weapon of mass destruction to hurt us no more.
1: Yeah, that's real.
0: You can't use this game, these things that you thought you only had access to. You can, you can no longer use these things to destroy my people. You kill Tick, that's the yeah. last black man you're going to kill because of magic. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought that was exceptional. And it was surprising in that I knew that Letty was going to go for it. But when she said, not just your family, white folks, all y'all, y'all can't use no more magic. And I said, you know what? I think <laughs> in the real world... A lot of white people will look at that and be like, man, that seems kind of harsh. Like, not all white people, we don't all utilize magic negatively, but I'm i am telling you, on this side of this green earth, when white people use magic, boy, they might do it to help themselves, but they always do it to destroy us. So I just thought that was so wonderful that that is one less thing black people have to be worried about. Yeah. The white people.
1: Yeah, that scene was like, it was so interesting. It was so funny. So when Letty fell down from that building um, and, you know, died or whatever, my friends were like, oh, God, she's dead. And I was like, she is not. She's not. I'm telling you. They can't kill her. She's not dead. Um, and then when she, like, gets back up and she has that, you know, immunity, I was like, see? see, mm. um, Oh, uh, or, like, invulnerability or whatever it's yeah. called. Um, the other thing is to note is that Ruby was so set on having a proximity to whiteness and her desire to be white and to be in power is ultimately what got her, what got her killed. By the very person who was, quote unquote, supposed to like her, love her. I think she did.
0: I think Christina loved her.
1: But she did not love her more than she loved magic. Nope. Christina killed family members for it. And why Ruby didn't think that she wouldn't get killed either is beyond me. But it did show that really this is just in general, I feel like, no matter what color you are, Whenever you are in pursuit of power, mm. death is waiting for you
0: mm.
1: somewhere because your motivations are wrong. Like when you are just in pursuit of dominating people, being mean, hurtful, selfish gain, like those people don't tend to live very long.
0: When you're when you're willing to sell your own soul, yeah, to obtain power, it's going to end you.
1: It's dangerous. It consumes you. What good does it gain
0: a man to gain the the whole world yet forfeit his soul?
1: Yeah, to lose your whole soul for Mm. what? Like, I think about that, and and I'm like, it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. It is not worth it to give up your your life, your character, your integrity to kill people for power. Mm -hmm. That's evil, man. And Ruby's pursuit of power overpowered her own common sense. Ruby thought that somehow she would be able to become a redheaded white woman. No, Ruby ended up dying, and her pursuit of power is what ended her life. Because I think, had Ruby stayed with her people, she probably would have still been alive.
0: Do you think that in the end, because Christina brought it up when she was pretending to be Ruby, mm-hmm. do you think in the end that Ruby actually turned in meaning? To, I wanted to. I want to help my sister. And that's why she died because she tried to remember, uh, remember because it's fake Ruby, White Ruby. Mm-hmm. She said that I, I had a feeling that Ruby was gonna come try to help you, and so I got a, I got a sense. Remember their conversation? She was asking all these questions she ain't never asked before. Yeah, and then you could tell that even when when fake Ruby, White Ruby, when when they gave she gave Letty the the vial, the, the potion. Yeah, like she knew that Letty was in need of that, so she got something from Ruby. It seems that she got ahead of ruby's plan and and before ruby could execute that plan she killed her for betrayal couldn't remember even and so I I cheated a little bit I cheated a little bit there cuz there's 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 a there's an HBO podcast yeah, as well yeah, yeah. that has the actual writers and stuff and everything yeah. so one of the things they mentioned was was that Christina was angry that she had to kill ruby and she was angry at Letty because Christina I think genuinely liked ruby but Again, you know, whenever you're dealing with with, with whiteness in absolute power, there's nothing going to get in the way of that. No matter how much I love you. Mm-hmm. But she did like her. And I think the fact that, like, she even gave to Ruby as much as she did, she didn't do that for anybody else. And remember, she never asked Ruby for anything. Even when she helped Atticus, okay, I need something from you. You're right. When, it, when she helped Liddy, Letty, I need something from you. With Ruby, she gave it away for free. It's almost as if she saw something in Ruby that wanted to be fixed and, and rebuilt. And so she just took the opportunity to do it. Yeah. So when she killed her, she was angry, which is why even she even went as far as she did. So that's just my theory. I could be wrong.
1: But I also think she kind of like uh, honored Ruby's dying wish to not hurt her sister. That's why she ha- got the invulnerability back.
0: She ad- where, When did she add it back?
1: I don't know, but she had it on her when she got it. Maybe up.
0: she couldn't take it off. Maybe you can't take it off.
1: Maybe. Maybe she acted like she took it and she didn't. But her Ruby's last thing to her was protect my sister
0: so she even, so
1: she threw her off
0: the thing but that's even that might be that's even more arrogant for Christina because if you're gonna tell me that you're gonna throw a whole woman off of a whole a whole tower kill her whole sister her whole baby daddy and then when she when Letty walks up to her at the end trying to cast that spell, she was like, it's too late. you don't have the power to do it. I'm already invincible and then she dead now that seemed like you made a grave mistake if you let her live.
1: Yeah, but she thought she was gonna be invincible by the time Letty could have woken up, so it didn't matter. Hey, that's my theory. No, it
0: could be true. It could be true. That's so with that, with that, let's talk about your girl D.
1: Man, D's not taking it from anybody. They not just from stop, nobody. They need to stop leaving D alone. But why?
0: Yeah, why was she at the by herself at the end? She's
1: constantly by herself, by herself in the woods, by herself in the streets.
0: Why? <laughs> Just leaving this child in a car. And would, you know and there's monsters out here. You know how
1: traumatized she is if y'all don't stop leaving her.
0: Well, I think though, when, cause I think when at the end of it, when, when Atticus died, there was like a little flash where he was talking to Ruby. I think he transferred the power from the, that, the, his guardian mm-hmm. to Ruby. So that's why when that monster came for her, that's why you saw the big black, the big black version of the Guardian came out of nowhere and then defended her. And at the end, that's why it was with oh, her. He
1: transferred it to D. You mean?
0: D. Yeah, sorry. Okay. D. Okay. Transferred it to D. Oh,
1: um, he must have, because I, I think I missed that part. But that would make a lot of sense, because he was protecting her from the other one.
0: That's what I'm saying. And he
1: was black, so that's another
0: indication. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so remember, yeah, remember, yeah, remember, yeah. she said. So this is Christina. Christina is, and you know, she laying back. <sighs> wow. Help me. Wow. Okay. Help me, D. Help me. I can hurt, and I'm bleeding. And then D just looked at her and said, they still haven't learned. And I said, girl, you better preach that sermon. These white folks try to take everything from you. (laughs) And then when they down in the gutter, they say, hey, Negro, help me. That's exactly what happened, and D said, "No, what? Nope. I'm gonna end this whole, whole lineage right here and there. Let's go."
1: I mean, just the whole theatrics of what you just did. Most people listen and they don't watch, <laughs> but, uh, that was great. Um, I don't know, like you know, what acting classes would look like for you. But look, I, you hey,
0: know. no, let me let me tell you off script, off script though, real talk. I actually used to act Shakespeare and Hamlet and all that back in the day. So gifted and talented class wow. from sixth to eighth grade had to play instruments. I played the fastest 16th note in the guitar and I had to act Hamlet and everything in front of like hundreds of people. So, you know, your boy got acting skills. Just, just put something down there. I got it. Anyway, we can go back to okay. lovecraft country.
1: Anyways. Um, so I think that D is like a great representative of the next generation. Because she is the one who not only, you know, kills Christina, but, you know, she was going to die anyways. But anyways, she's not only the one to kill Christina, but she's also the one to remind her, like, of when will you all learn? And she's the youngest, right? So it's, like, generation after generation after generation that Christina's interacted with. And now you're with the youngest person from the family of that generation, and she's saying to her, when will you learn? Um, and that's kind of how, like, it kind of ends.
0: Question. Yes. We had this conversation earlier on this season as well about white people mm-hmm. and their ability to perceive where they are in reading the room. Mm-hmm. Do you think white people will learn learn enough to be able to be, as a collective, a useful ally in the fight for justice, as a collective
1: you mean like the overarching collective? hmm I don't know. I can't answer that. I don't know.
0: Cause it's interesting in when that last that last portion with Dee, it was just like she just looked at her while she was begging for help and just said
1: When will you ever learn?
0: Yeah, but like are you not aware of what you've done? Like you killed Atticus, you killed Ruby. You have George. I mean your family. I mean Titus, what he did to our great great grandmother. Like, remember when Titus came back on scene, he just the first thing he said was, nigger, what are you doing with those spells? Like, that's the first thing he said. He just got resurrected. First thing he says, that's what he says to her. And so like you just look at the the history of it, and then you have the audacity not even to apologize, but just say, Please help me. As if you are deserving of this continued black grace that we always hand out to white people. Now, again, I believe that as a Christian, you always extend grace and mercy to people. But I think what's more important in this case is there is a culture of whiteness that's going to have to die. That culture of whiteness that feels entitled to us always extending grace without offering any kind of repentance offering any kind of equity or compromise they don't do that if there's no shared power if they make a mistake and they're in need of help we respond but they never make that first effort and so that's what i saw with that section with d and it really made me it makes me think further is will they ever learn and i again we again we had this conversation Who will learn and will be allies and will help. But again, I think as a collective in their in white culture, I don't think it's sustainable. Cause I don't think that white culture doesn't allow for for any shared power. Like that's not what the goal is. The goal is complete and utter dominance. And so if you're not white, if you're Indian or indigenous, you gotta go. If you're not white and you're black, you gotta go. I mean, there's white men, there's white women and you know, I know white women have this, you know, Great, you know, burden they feel towards white men, but hey, I'm sorry, but white women are in the same boat. I mean, you all benefit from the same system of privilege. And it's always been this this up and down battle trying to get white people collectively to listen and to respond. So, look, can you? Sure. Will you? I don't know. I mean, I think it's just a matter of
1: time telling, but I'm learning like more and more for my own personal mental health and sanity. I can't sit around thinking about who's going to get it or not. I just have to keep doing the work that I feel called to do. And if you get it great. And if you don't, you know, may God bless you.
0: I would love for, uh, if you're a white listener to, to respond to even that, like, do you think that, that white people will get it? One day, like it's a collective. Could I, I mean, I D answered the question for herself. She said, oh, you ain't going, to you ain't, you haven't learned. You, you ain't going to get it. So let me just, let me just end this right now. So she didn't leave an option available. And people, I know uh, people around America were just clapping and uproaring and stuff. And I was like, man. But,
1: I don't know. I don't know what, what's going to happen for people. I don't know what collective as a whole white America is going to look like. And I don't feel like the pressure to answer or define it, I think in a way for mm-hmm. me, because I'm trying to learn how to also release myself from allowing whiteness to take up so much space in my heart in my mind and in my life.
0: By the way, something that was excellent about this, and I want to get your opinion on this. I know you're Tony Morrison fan as well so one of the deliberate things about this this season of lovecraft country was not writing in view of the white gaze mm-hmm. this show was written for black people yeah and it was to make it, it was a test to see can you write genre with only black people for black people yes you so can. for you do you feel like lovecraft country season one did that well
1: Yeah, I think it did because I saw myself and I wasn't thinking about anybody else. And the central focus wasn't, you know, whiteness in the terms of black people existing in it. Mm. It was the stories of black people and the ways whiteness either tried to hinder or silence or derail their lives, right? And so... I think what I'm learning, like, for this next days of life, this next stage of activism, what it looks like for me is not to, um, yeah, I get frustrated in, in all of those things. Like, that's natural. I'm human. Um, but in order for me to be a good advocate, in order for me to do the work that I have to do day mm-hmm. in and day out, um, a lot of work that does um, involve a lot of diverse communities and even white folks is for me to choose to live my life with a freedom and a a love not only for myself but for the people around me um, that's not thinking about the white Mm gaze and i i want to continue to cultivate that that's something that i'm really starting to reflect on and work on because when i focus so much on whiteness racism how people are seeing me perceiving me I just get angry Mm -hmm. and I get hopeless and I wonder if anything is going to change. And so I have to start asking myself, regardless of how much things change, what can I change in my life, in my heart, in my mind that gives me more freedom, more joy, Mm. and more peace? And that's not based on um, the circumstances around me. Now, that's very difficult to do. It's not easy, and especially when you have socioeconomic situations that kind of impact how you can have personal peace. Like, how can I have peace if I can't, you know, um, pay my bills or buy groceries or different yeah. things like that? So um, I still feel like even me saying some some of that, there's a level of privilege to me be being able to say that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's asking a question of how can we live our lives in a way to where... Regardless of what happens, right? Regardless of who's president, regardless of all these things, how can we keep advocating? How can we keep speaking out, but not allowing the the terror and the hold, the the weight of whiteness, to not only just like steal our joy, but also to like define whether we have hope or not? Um, and I think I don't want to give any more room and space mentally to things and people that are not only going to render me hopeless, um, but are going to cause me to question my, you know, humanity or purpose. Mm -hmm. Like I want to make room for people and things in my life that are going to be life-giving.
0: Look, I feel that. And I think for myself as well, learning with being comfortable with the fact that I am going to speak and write and live, do podcasts, I'm going to build my political life, my economic life, everything, my spiritual life especially, my theology will be centered on my experience as an African American man. And I have grown more comfortable with the fact that that is not going to work with whiteness and that white people will not always feel comfortable with that. And I've accepted that I will get pushback for living that way because me living in the fullness of my blackness is contradictory to the whiteness that exists around me. So, but I can't be so aware of the white gaze that I refuse to live my life the way that I'm supposed to live it and think and write and preach the way that I'm supposed to. Mm-hmm. And that's a lesson I had to learn faith Yeah, because early on, there's always white people that are always critiquing what I'm saying, what I'm doing. Smile, say it nicer, say it like this, but don't say this. You know, Make sure you talk about like these particular people. Don't generalize, like, it's constant. Mm-hmm. And even to this day, sometimes white people will do it, and I just ignore it. Because I have nothing to say to it, because if if you can't resonate with it, then it's not for you. Mm-hmm. Tyler Perry said that, so the Black AF show, if you haven't had a chance to watch it, it's a Netflix special as well. And something that he said, when he was talking to, to Kenya, he said, I don't make things for white people, for the critics. Mm-hmm. All of my shows, my plays, I make those for black people. That's who I care about. The reason I'm as successful as I am is because I make stuff that black people like. I don't care what white people have to say about it. Right. And it takes a level of integrity and courage to do that. Mm-hmm. Especially in the spaces that you and I work in. Yeah. So, I would encourage you, if you are african-american or if you are a person of color like make sure like you're constantly like investing in yourself investing in how you best can live out your purpose and calling on this side of heaven and then if you're white make sure that you're doing that for yourself make sure that you living out your whiteness or living out your person it's not intruding on the ability for a person of color to live and be as well yes so
1: i like that i don't really have any more anything else to say
0: well, this has been a great season one of the Salt and Sugar podcast. I know that I am extremely thankful for you all for being going on this journey with us. There is so much more to come. Uh, as long as we live in this country, there will always be more to talk about. Uh, but really, we just wanted to give you this first season. Uh, that way, you can hold on to this. And as we get ready for an election cycle, That is a new please continue to vote. Please continue to invest in your communities. And then we will be with you on the other side of that. But, Faith, any last thing you want to say?
1: No. Thank you all for listening.
0: Look, we love you all. Make sure you listen. Make sure you share. We will see you all soon. This is the Salt and Sugar podcast. And we out. Season one is a wrap.